This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. The draft is in the books. 93 names were called, and it only took five hours. Adam Levy from the Lacrosse Flash and NLL.com will stop by as we go in-depth to find out some of the other stories that we missed on Thursday night. All that and more right here on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Right here on SoundCloud, iTunes, the Lacrosse Flash, NLL.com, Spotify, YouTube. No, not on there. Maybe one day. Would you guys want to see my face while I talk at the same time for an hour? Or do you just want to listen to my voice? Probably just listen to my voice. Anyway, uh, if you want to get a hold of me at the show... And let me know if you want to see my face and my voice at the same time. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or Instagram, OTCB Podcast. As mentioned this week, Adam Levy from the Lacrosse Flash and NLL.com will stop by. And we'll talk a lot, a, a lot of things. We'll talk a lot of things. And. He's got some great insight and some great story ideas that he's working on, so we're going to give him a bit of a platform to hash out some of those stories and work through some things. And just to let you know, we all know that I like to talk. Adam Levy, low-key loves to talk. So um, quite a chat with young Mr. Levy coming up uh, in a little bit. But let's kind of surfacely look through the draft and some of the other stories that, you know, we all kind of looked at and thought of and saw and just kind of were like wondering what the heck is going on. And I think the first place we have to start is with that number two pick. Vancouver flipping it to the Rochester Nighthawks. So Vancouver gave up three and 28 while Rochester gave up two and 69 And then Rochester will have the option of exchanging first-round picks with Vancouver in the 2021 entry draft if Vancouver has a higher draft pick. So why would they make that move? And why wouldn't they make one of the deals with either Calgary or San Diego? Unfortunately, we may never know that. Because we'll probably never really know what what Colorado offered. Nope. We'll probably never know what Calgary offered. Or what San Diego offered. But there must have been something in the conversations that Dan Richardson and Dan Carey had. Maybe it's because they're both Dan's. I don't know. But there must have been something in that conversation that made Dan Carey think that Vancouver's offer was the better of the three offers. And... It allowed Vancouver to hop up and get Reed Bowering. And yes, we kind of talked about this during the broadcast. We kind of talked about it during a show two weeks ago. There was always the opportunity that Rochester never trades that pick and just keeps number two, picks Ryan Smith, and then leaves the three Western teams to fend for themselves. 
But why not if you're Dan Carey and you're in that position? And the three teams around you want to leapfrog you to ensure that they get the guy that the other two teams want. Why not try and get something for that? And Rochester ends up flipping the 28th overall pick to Colorado in exchange for Jeff Wittick. So by dropping one spot, they still get their guy and they get a young, talented, still developing left-hander that has good size, good stick, and can step into your lineup and, and help make a difference. I'm sure that Calgary and San Diego were also trying to maneuver into that number two spot. San Diego may have been able to include that number and 15 pick, but I doubt they were ever going to do that. And they didn't have a second round pick. Calgary, they had multiple second rounders. They probably could have used one of those to entice Dan Carey. But wasn't meant to be. And so for the Vancouver Warriors, who may have been all about Jeff Henrik or Trey LeClaire throughout the draft, were more worried about San Diego and Calgary getting Reed Bowering that they felt that it was more important to get Reed than to allow those other two Western teams to have him. That's how valuable Reed Bowering is in this draft. Yes, Jeff Teat may be the best on-paper player in this draft. But the Swiss Army knife that Reed Bowering is makes him so much more valuable than any other player in this draft, in my opinion. And when the fact that Vancouver needs help on D, needs help in transition, needs help on offense... And Reed Bowering can give you all three of those, plus play short man, plus play on the power play, on the ball team, special situations. He is more than just a five-tool guy. Maybe outside of playing goaltender, you could put Reed Bowering in any position during any game, and he will take that task to heart and give it everything he had. I'm sure even if you put him in goal, he would give it everything he had. But the fact that three teams were all vying for him in that number two pick speaks on his value as a lacrosse player, as a young man, and as a future star in our league. Ryan Smith is going to be great. Trey LeClaire, Tanner Cook, Robert Hudson are all going to be good. But I just think the overall body of work that Reed Bowering is going to bring to the National Lacrosse League will be more impactful than any of the other people in that first round. There were some other surprises in that first round, and I think Saskatchewan taking Marshall Palace at seven was maybe one of my bigger surprises. Now, I know Stephen Stamp is incredibly high on Marshall Palace, as are other people. But I just didn't think a guy that had only played a handful of Junior A games is still very small in size and stature and has never really played at this high a level 
warranted a seventh overall pick. The bonus is he's going to get to play behind Mark Matthews, Ryan Keenan, and Jeff Shatler. He's going to learn from three amazing veterans and professionals. And the fact that Jeff Shatler is there, I think, is even more impactful for Marshall Palace. So he doesn't have to come in and be the guy right away. He can learn. He can grow. They can maybe rely on Patrick Dodds a little bit more just because of his natural size on the other side if they need an offensive rookie to step in the lineup. I just didn't think Marshall would go that high. I also didn't think Ethan Riggs would go at 10 since he was a late entry into the draft, but I had one general manager say that he is very Graham Hossack-like, and actually Billy D. Smith said this uh, with the Halifax social media people, that he reminds him of Billy D. of Graham Hossack. And those are lofty praised words. He may not have the offensive touch that Graham does, but if he can use his size and athletic ability to be equally as physical and dominant on the back end that Hasek is, he is going to be a great get for Halifax. And Adam touches on this in our conversation, but Halifax didn't have a very solid goals against per game stat line. And so they felt they needed to boost up their back end a little bit more. And they did that quite well in getting Ethan Riggs. I love Philadelphia taking Jackson Subak. Uh, I think he's a fantastic throwback. He's going to be endured by that Philadelphia fan base just because they love that style of play. When we get to the second round, everyone saw my reaction. And that was a 100% percent unscripted, unrehearsed, candid reaction. I had no idea that Brad Self was working on a move to send Jacob Rue. But it sounds like there were a few teams interested in him, and New England, from what they have been telling us, had been interested in Rooster for a couple of years to add him to their roster. Living in Ottawa, it was a lot of travel back and forth, so putting him on an Eastern team was a, was going to be probably a result anyway. But now that they were able to move him and they were able to get that second round pick, allowing them to draft Ron John out of Albany, everybody was high on him and are high on Ron John. And I was surprised to see him continually drop, just like I was continually surprised to see Jeff Henrik drop. But sometimes that's the way drafts go. And sometimes guys just don't fit into teams' needs, which means their worth and value drops and drops and drops. And it can be disheartening for some young players. But it can also be inspiring and empowering because it puts a chip on their shoulder. And they want to come in and they want to prove that every other team that passed on them was wrong. And I think there are probably a few people within the top 30 or so that will have that mentality of, you passed on me, I will make you pay. Colorado picked four times, getting four fantastic young men. Uh, they get Justin Getty as a, oh sorry, they get Tyler Skevier. Looking at the wrong, wrong draft pick. They get Tyler Skevier uh, at the 33rd pick. They get Jalen Chaster at 31. They get Jordan Trotche at 28. 
Brett McIntyre at 22, and Ron John at 18. So that's actually five picks in that second round. And they will all be able to contribute something when their time is needed. And I think all five of those guys have a very bright chance and strong chance at making the Mammoth roster at some point. It may take some time, but there is definitely the possibility there. Well, with all the hype around Bobby Kidd going in the draft, I was kind of surprised to see him last to 26. But again, Saskatchewan gets another absolute gem. I thought Georgia did really well in the draft in using all their first-round picks to get themselves Robert Hudson, Jeff Hendrick, Ethan Walker, and Lane Rushka. Uh, there's another one I was kind of surprised to see go as high as he did. And a couple gems have always stated to me that Drafting a goaltender is always very dicey. You can pick up goaltenders off the street as free agents pretty much all the time. And there's no guarantee that a first-round goaltender will pan out. There's no guarantee that any drafted goaltender will pan out. And the fact that they have Mike Poole in there and they have Kevin Orleman already there and to bring in Lane Rushka, who's not going to school, so he's coming in right away to battle for that backup spot. You have to keep in mind that we're coming up to expansion. You cannot protect two goaltenders. So they are going to have to leave one of their two of their three goaltenders exposed in that expansion draft. Most likely Orleman and Rushka. So that is always a slippery slope. And who knows? Maybe Lane can come in and earn that number two spot, and then they can get value for him and trade for him. I don't think you're going to get fair value for him when you want to trade for him again, if you end up wanting to trade him. I'm not sure too many teams are going to give you a first for Lane Rushka. Maybe. If he comes in and blows the doors off the place, then maybe he garners it. But overall, I think body of work, talent that they got, needs that they had, I really felt felt that Calgary did and had an excellent, excellent draft. They get Tanner Cook at five. Big, strong, athletic lefty who is going to come in and be a real force for them. Again, they get another big, bodied, offensive guy. 6-3-205. Adam to Jesse King. Adam to Curtis Dixon. Even Marshall King, once he puts on a few more pounds, is a big body. They traded away Tyson Bell to the Halifax Thunderbirds uh, in exchange for the number 14 overall pick. And with that, they took local product and future dynamo, Harrison Matsuoka. And yes, it's a heartstring-pulling local guy pick that often we see in the later rounds, but Harrison is not a late-round guy. He was a bona fide first-rounder, and Calgary traded away Tyson Bell so they could move up and make sure that they got him. And losing Bell as a transition, detransition threat gets easily replaced by the outlook of Harrison Matsuoka. In the second round, they get the big-bodied, Patrick Dodds, and they get the speedster Ethan Ticehurst. So now they've added 
a lefty, a righty-o, and two fantastic transition players. Then they go out and draft Justin Getty, the young goaltender out of Nanaimo, to create a very intriguing goaltender duel at camp. Delbs is the number one. They've released Tyler Richards, so that means it's Landon Kells and Justin Getty battling for the number two spot. You go to the three, third round, they get Reese Blake, who's a 6'7", 220-pound monster out of Port Coquitlam. They get Brody McLean, who is a lefty forward, probably a depth guy, may not make their roster. But And then they get Jackson Murrell in the fifth round. And then very underrated Laszlo Henning in the sixth round. And I think Laszlo Henning is a definite steal. But the first five guys that they drafted are all hole fillers for them. Because they've lost Reese Dutch. They've traded away Tyson Bell. They lost Greg Harnett. They lost Tyler Richards. So they clear out space and they bring in five guys that will most likely be on their roster come opening day whenever that is. Dodds may be practice roster. Ticers can easily fit in into their back end unit and be an absolute speedster out of the back end. These are all players that will compete for rosters. Now, Ticers is going back to school, so we got to wait on him. Cook is going back to North Carolina, so we got to wait on him. Getty is available. He's just down the road playing golf at Gorge Vale lighting up the course. And Matsuoka is going back to school for one more year. So they can have Dodds now. They can have Getty now. And in two years, they get Ticers, Matsuoka, and Tanner Cook. I think it was a very good draft for the defending champions. And coming off a sort of subpar COVID-shortened season, I think the impact players that they got will benefit them long-term down the road. And don't get me wrong. I think every team addressed needs that they had. I'm still kind of shaking my head over Jamie Dowick taking TD Ireland in the second round. It's a big question mark for me. Is he drafting him to be a player on his roster? Because if he is, they have to get TD caught up on playing indoor defense in a hurry. But if he can't pick that defense up, are they okay with being a defender short and just having a guy to take face-offs and hopefully win 80 to 90% of them? Or... Are they drafting TD so that they can use him as trade bait down the road? But again, we're getting to expansion. So if TD isn't in their future plans, they're going to have to leave him unprotected. And so they just wasted a second round draft pick. So many stories, so many 
question marks, so many exclamation points. But overall, I thought it was a very, very good draft with all the circumstances around and players going back to college. And the unknown if there's going to be a college season or if there's even going to be an NLL season and when it's going to be. I think all the teams did a really good job and solid job of scouting players through Zoom chats and emails and using their own scouts because there weren't games this year. I thought all the players handled themselves very well in the interview process leading up to this because talking to all those general managers, it's not easy to have that many conversations with that many kids, but they all said how well-spoken these young men were and after they were drafted, how well-received those young men were and getting their texts back and just hearing their excitement. And then on the draft, listening to some of those guys tell their stories and how they excited they were and seeing some of the videos from guys in their hometown getting drafted. Obviously, probably the best one was Brett Draper out of Halifax. A Nova Scotia kid sitting at home with a couple of his buddies and they were just getting excited. And It really was probably the last chance for him. There was only two teams picking after Halifax at 91. And then when they heard the name Brett, they all kind of perked up. And then when they heard the word Draper, they just absolutely went crazy. And maybe for, you know, your top picks, top 10 guys, you're just kind of, okay, cool. I'm going back to school. I'm drafted. This is great. It's an exciting moment. I feel happy. Great to be surrounded by friends and family. But for those later round guys, for Brett Draper, for Wyatt Hawks, another Saskatchewan kid. Those moments are the awesome, awesome moments where you never think a moment like that could ever happen to you and it's a dream come true when it does. Congratulations to everybody that heard their name called. And for all of you young players that didn't, don't let this be a detractor. Just continue to work your butt off If you're allowed back in the draft next year, your name goes back in the draft pool. If not, there are other ways to get noticed. The ALL is an excellent opportunity whenever they start back up to continue playing, keep your stick sharp, and have people watching you that will need you at some point. Keep your stick in your hand. Don't get lazy. Don't let this deter you. Just keep the grind, and it'll happen. Adam Levy has been covering the National Lacrosse League for the last few years now, and he's a proud member of the NLL.com team as well as a big team guy over at the Lacrosse Flash. He was watching the draft pick for pick. He's got notes, he's got stories, and he's had many conversations. So let's see what the young man has to say. It's Adam Levy one-on-one right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by Adam Levy from the Lacrosse Flash and NLL.com. Leafs, how are you, buddy? I'm doing really well, Teddy. Thanks for uh, having me. Uh, I uh, don't know if it's raining uh, out by you, but it has been a torrential downpour today for uh, us in Vancouver. Yeah, it's been a soaking one for Bear and myself on our morning walk, and I'm not looking forward to my golf trip that I'm supposed to go on up island this weekend because if it rains, there's going to be a lot of drinking and cards being played inside. 
Well, that also sounds fun. Um, (laughs) It is. It's supposed to rain through Sunday, so uh, either have like a super umbrella or uh, expect to get a little tipsy and probably lose some cards. All that is being taken into account. But we bring you on to kind of recap the National Lacrosse League draft and and a wild night that it was for the NLL, the virtual draft, and you know, thirteen teams in thirteen different cities plus. Four analysts and broadcasters all around North America trying to bring the fans the best that they can. I just want to get your take on what you thought of the draft. You don't have to critique us all, but overall, from a viewer standpoint, how did you feel the draft was? Well, I'll get the critique out of the way. You you were the worst of the group. Oh, so obviously. Thank I did, you. Yeah, I yeah that. so now that that's out of the way, uh, I think that it was an excellent uh, show considering you know, what we've been faced up against with COVID and having to socially distance. These are crazy, ever-changing times for everyone and for us to be able to adapt. And, you know, you and I know what it was like behind the scenes, the amount of effort, communication, and and coordination that it took to put something like this together. I think that considering all of those factors that it, it went off uh, fairly well. Of course, there's a couple hitches. There's always going to be. There's there's hitches that happen in a live draft when mm-hmm. you uh, have everything going the way you want. So a uh, few complaints, uh, I think, from around uh, the lacrosse media. And uh, I uh, was really impressed with how everything came together. And I think that you guys did handle the one, uh, the one hiccup where uh, the feed cut off really well. Well, I appreciate that. Um, what were your biggest surprises from the draft? First takeaway. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I thought that uh, it was really cool to see uh, a lot of junior B guys go. That was uh, a little bit surprising, especially two in the first round. You know, Ryan Smith has a lot of junior B experience. Uh, Marshall Palace has only played junior B. Um, so it's interesting to see those. Ty Thompson, Chris Veltman. Uh, great to see that it's not just, and you had Ryan Smith on a couple weeks ago, you know, to be able to see guys who don't play at the highest level all the time or don't have, you know, these expectations uh, on their uh, shoulders to kind of go out there and perform at the highest level every week, and then they still show that they're, what they're capable of. So I was impressed with that. Uh, I was a little bit surprised with some of the drops. Jeff Henrik uh, going down as far as he did, and I know that you know, going eighth, was it that, uh, that, that doesn't sound like much, but by many, he was considered to be a top five pick. So a little bit surprising that guys like Marshall Paulus and, and others kind of went before him. Uh, and then I think that, you know, other players dropping off Grant Amont, you know, it's interesting to see that he went all the way to 65th. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that, you've introduced me now to this concept of the Eric Lindros uh, situation. <laughs> and I don't know if that's part of it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's interested in um, really giving the NLL a chance. I will say that I actually have a call uh, with him this week. So I will ask him that uh, as indirectly or directly as possible. Um, I know that with uh, uh, eligibility issues for college, there can be a little bit of hiccups, but it's definitely going to get the inside scoop there. Um, A couple of cool facts that I thought, um, you know, uh, just before I kind of break down other stuff, 
it was really cool to see Marshall Palace get drafted in the first round, considering that Johnny, uh, his older brother, had gone in the first round uh, in 2011. And I think that, you know, we were having the conversation of how many uh, Iroquois brothers had actually been drafted in the first round. And shockingly, they are the third pair in NLL history to do that. And uh, when I texted that to Marshall, I will actually read you his response. He said, making history is something I could only dream of doing, but making history alongside Johnny is so surreal. I've always been family oriented and close to my brothers, so making history with Johnny is mind blowing. It's crazy how it all started from my dad putting us into lacrosse as a fun hobby. We never thought that this would be the outcome. So really cool for the Paulus family um, to have also shared that moment together. Johnny and their younger brother, Sydney, were all together that night, as well as their parents, Marshall's girlfriend, um, and his grandfather. So really cool experience for all of them. And uh, then with Penn State, you know, you had Dylan Folds, you had Mac O'Keefe, um, and you had Ament, and even though Ament dropped off, it was a huge night for Penn State as a lacrosse program. It's the first time in uh, Penn State's NLL history where they had more than one guy go in the same draft. They've obviously picked it up. Dan Craig was a 2017 draft pick in the sixth round, but to have three guys from that school, that program that uh, I know that um, you know has been building up uh, so uh, so greatly over the last couple years. It's really cool to see that. Uh, and then if I look at um, some other teams, you know, I got a chance to talk to Brad Self this morning, uh, bright and early before the sun came up, and uh, he kind of explained about the Rue trade, saying that it wasn't something they were pushing for, but obviously with getting picks back. Um, he's really trying to make his stamp uh, on this team. And I know that um, Makai is doing a, a great uh, piece. I'm, I'm right on that. She's going to do a piece on, on self. And Hold on. Did you just call her Makai? I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, who is he talking about? <laughs> uh, uh, you mean Mackie, my niece. Yes. I believe she is doing a, a piece on Brad self and how he is trying to sort of make his stamp on that roster and, and make some moves and and the Rue trade was sort of one of them the Coates was another uh you know Wittig and Killen just trying to free up some space to to bring in some young guys but also find up find some cap space to pay some of their guys really what they're worth and you know the 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 Rue trade caught me off guard as everybody saw it during that draft I had no idea it was coming um, but that's just part of the sports business, and you have to make those tough decisions sometimes. And I, I give a lot of kudos to Brad for for making that decision and being able to pull the trigger on it because a lot of people were shocked by it. I know a lot of Mammoth fans were unhappy the fact that now Coates and Wittig and Killen and now Jacob the Rooster Rue are all gone. But I think this team will be better for it moving forward. Um, I want to kind of go back to some of the other things that you talked about. Obviously, the, the Ament thing is an interesting one, but I think the fact that I just don't know how his game is going to transfer to the indoor game. 
And I think that is going to be a big question mark for him because he's an incredible distributor of the ball. He's an incredible incredible floor quarterback, field quarterback, whichever term you want to use. I just don't know if that's going to translate indoors to be able to see him you know, get bodied up by a short stick Kyle Rubish uh, in, in a compacted indoor setting if he's still going to be able to have the effectiveness that he does. And I'm interested to see what he says when you talk to him about his thoughts about playing indoor and if he's com- had conversations with the Black Wolves. Because the Black Wolves also took Michael Sauer. So we have two of the best young kids coming out of college in the next couple of years, best young Americans. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get them to play because that will continue to open up the door for the next group of Americans who may not have any box experience. Yeah, and it was actually interesting because uh, on the uh, media conference call after the draft, uh, Glenn Clark did mention that he had a conversation with Ament about uh, his decision to play, and he, it's, it's it is up in the air. He was he was quite honest about that, but conversations are ongoing at this point. So it's good that they're having a dialogue, and it's good that there is not it, no one's being stonewalled or anything like that. So. You know, that, that's the best that you can have for, as you said, a guy who really uh, doesn't have that kind of experience or maybe the ability to transition his play uh, that way. So, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to talk to him and kind of get his uh, his take on things. And you had mentioned Wittig, and one thing when I spoke to Dan Carey also this morning, he was saying uh, how Wittig is going to really help on that left side. And I know that uh, Mike Hazen, who I've also spoken with, he was also very high on Wittig. So they have a lot of uh, a lot of high hopes for a guy like him, um, as well as some of the other guys that they've picked up. Obviously, uh, they had they decided to before the draft pick up Thomas Hogarth, um, which uh, returning from an ACL injury, it'll be interesting to see how he comes into play. So Rochester, with their trades, they were making a lot of big moves, and uh, they definitely feel like they want their identity to kind of be formed over the next couple years. Uh, I know that they were saying that with so much uncertainty with COVID, they have ongoing strategies in terms of how to communicate with each other and how to continue to build that chemistry even though they can't be together. So it's going to be interesting to see because when you're a young franchise like the Nighthawks, it's important to have an identity because that's how you're going to move forward and kind of build the organization. So really interesting to see what's going to happen there over the next years and obviously depending on what happens with the NLL season this coming year. Of course. Um, Jake and Brad had Dan Richardson, the Vancouver Warriors GM, on last class this week. And he kind of broke down their thinking of trying to get up to number two, where it was the fact that they didn't want San Diego or Calgary to have that number two pick to get Reed Bowering. When you talked to Mike Kazin, when you talked to Dan Carey, what was their reasoning for for taking the Vancouver deal over the other two options? Do you know? Yeah, so they weren't specifically targeting Ryan Smith, but they were really happy with a lot of the guys. They said that there were about five or six guys there that were all equally talented, of course, different positions. But with a young team, they had a bunch of different holes to fill, and they all could have been satisfied by a bunch of different players. So their strategy was, well, Vancouver really wants Bowring and they're only one pick behind us, so we can still get the guy that we want if we make a trade with them. And so it's a bit of a, a goodwill gesture, but also making sure that they can get an offensive talent 
like Ryan Smith and then also still um, make negotiations and trades for other picks as well. So that was their thinking with that one. You've had some words with San Diego. They they acquired Trey LeClaire, Mac O'Keefe. They did really well in this draft for a team that's in its third year, you know, coming out of a COVID-shortened 1920 season. How important was this draft for, for Pat Merrill and the Seals? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, those uh, Trey LeClaire and Mac O'Keefe are arguably the two most dynamic uh, scorers that uh, that were in the draft. So to add young talent like that, explosive talent, really good shooting skill. I know that uh, Jeff Tambroni, uh, who I had spoken with prior to the draft, had amazing things to say about Mac O'Keefe, not only uh, his playing skill, but also his ability to be a great team player and to be a really good man on and off the floor. So his character is really good, and that's kind of what you need uh, when you have a lot of veteran guys and a lot of other really good talent, you know, Austin Stotts and guys like that who are also trying to get their own. So I think that he'll be a really good fit and just add more explosiveness to an offense that was the the best in the West, really, in terms of goals for so really uh really think that they benefited a lot there halifax brings in ryan tarafenko out of ohio state who comes very highly regarded from coach nick myers but they also get ethan riggs in the first round and acquired uh unreal flow tyson bell in a trade how important was it for micah kersey and kurt sires to show up their back end yeah so with halifax uh i i didn't know this before I had looked it up, but they were tied for the worst goals against per game. Uh, if you look at them compared to other playoff teams by the time the season ended. And that was of course, when Warren Hill was also playing at an MVP caliber level. So the fact that they were allowing so many goals per game and they had an outstanding goalie, really important to shore up that defense. Uh, you get a lot of good, not only skill, but experience and leadership out of Tyson Bell and some amazing hair too. So, you know, that's, uh, that's always good. Um, especially in a, in a excited atmosphere in Halifax where people are trying to get around players and Tyson Bell's a really likable, good team player. So I think that that'll be great for them and taking a young guy like Ethan Riggs, you know, right off the bat with their first pick really shows that they, they acknowledge that they let up too many goals and, obviously isn't Warren Hill's fault so the defense needs to get a little better and uh, that's what they did when you look overall was there a team that did better than the rest I think that obviously when you're talking about depth I think that Colorado was fantastic uh obviously making a lot of big trades um you know getting rid of Rue but Pick and also getting rid of Wick, uh, Wittig, but I think that Colorado is there was a bit of a an understanding and acceptance that you know they've been very competitive defensively uh, in the West, but they have needed to kind of make some changes offensively. There was that uh, flourishing young offense that I know that that we've spoken about before that was coming up, but there's been a lot of moves there to change that offense and a lot of good draft picks there and also shoring up the defense. So I think that was really successful. And another thing, uh, talking to Dan Carey and to Mike Hazen, you know, it was about the, obviously Rochester wanted to make key moves to make the team better, but there was an admission a little bit by Mike Hazen saying, look, you know, we need to show our guys that our front office is going to work our butts off as much 
uh, to make this team better as you guys are going to do it on the floor. And by making those kinds of moves, uh, trades and, and obtaining other draft picks, that's kind of their way of saying, look, we're doing our part as well. So I think that that was a really strong play by them. One of the other news and notes that came out of the draft was that it's been officially announced that the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame is coming back. Now, this has been something that's kind of been on the back burner for a couple of years, and they've been trying to figure out a process to make sure this is going to be taken seriously. It's going to be, you know, a professional, well-run organization. There's going to be clear-cut rules on how to get in and, and who's eligible and all that. But when you look at the Hall of Fame, and we've kind of talked about this before, who is on your list of people who should be in once they do the next class. Well, I know that I had messaged you when I was thinking about uh, who who should be a Hall of Famer, and I was like, how is it possible that John Grant Jr. isn't in the Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, we talk about Sean Williams all the time, uh, but John Grant Jr. is, you know, he's named the GOAT. So the fact that it just happened, as you had mentioned, that the Hall of Fame stopped inaugurating people kind of the year that he stopped playing. There, was, it, there wasn't a chance to, to have him in. Um, but I did have a couple of, of players that I think are, are easily in, and I think that they should be in within the first year that the Hall opens. Uh, my first guy is uh, Mark Steenhouse. Uh, you know, he's, uh, if we're thinking about draft stuff, he was a third rounder, ends up being transition player of the year has the NLL single game record for most assists and points in a game. Uh, he's only behind John Tavares, who's in the Hall of Fame <clears throat> for uh, playoff career categories in Buffalo history, sixth all-time in goals, fifth all-times in loose balls, and over a 1,000 career points. So hard to argue with a guy like that. Uh, another guy is arguably the best player to come out of Toronto, which is Colin Doyle. Fourth all-time in goals, assists, and points. Most goals, assists, and points in Toronto playoff history. Most goals, assists, and points in Toronto regular season history. And he's second most in loose balls only to Jim Veltman, whose nickname is all about scooping up loose balls as scoop. So uh, really, he, he's another lock for me. And then choosing a coach who also had some great playing experience, Troy Cordingly. Uh, Coach of the Year in 2013 and 09, won the Champions Cup in 09 with Rochester and in Toronto in 2011, also had the best record in the NLL in 2013 with Toronto, and he also won two Champions Cups as a player and has the fourth most wins all time as a coach. So a lot of incredible guys there, so many more deserving. Uh, Really interesting to see that if you look at the record books and if you look at so the amount of talent that's in the NLL, so many guys that will be in the Hall of Fame are still playing. So it'll be really interesting in the years to come when you look at guys like Matt Vince or Mike Poulin or Sean Evans. You know, they'll be locks. Kyle Rubish, uh, a defensive beast to really change the game with uh, forced turnovers. These these are guys that will get there eventually. But those three guys uh, to go with the GOAT and to go with Sean Williams are are first of mind for me. Couldn't agree more. The only, I think the only hang-up for Steenhouse is that it might be because he's not officially retired yet. That yeah, might be that's... one of the reasons he hasn't been in contention. But also the last few years, we haven't had the Hall of Fame, so he hasn't been able to be voted in whether he's been retired or not. But I completely agree. And I know that 
the Hall of Fame election committee is working tirelessly, you know, to to right some wrongs. You know, there were some years because of the way the voting was structured and you had to get 75% of the vote. There were some years where we had three straight goalies go into the Hall of Fame and they were the only people inducted in those years. And it's unfortunate to see guys like Casey Powell, Reggie Thorpe, uh, Kevin Finneran, um, Ricky Soule. The list goes down the line of guys who you know came before many NLL fans of today knew of the National Lacrosse League. And those are the people, more so than I think, you know, John Grant Jr. and Stainhouse and Willie. Those are the guys we really have to give some mention and honor to because they're the pioneers. Um, of our sport and, and it would be great to really recognize those guys um before i let you go i know you're a very busy man you got lots of stuff to work on the one story that i always like coming out of the national cross league is local guys that get drafted late to their hometown team and there were two one two that that really are you know maybe three lane rushka just getting drafted is a huge story but Wyatt Hulk getting drafted by the Saskatchewan SWAT or the Saskatchewan Rush as a member of the Saskatchewan SWAT is huge. And Brett Draper, the Nova Scotia native, being drafted by the Halifax Thunderbirds. That video that he posted with two of his buddies watching to see if his name gets called, those pull on your heartstrings a bit, don't they? Yeah, they they definitely do. And, you know, as part of this, uh, you know, we, we talked about it before the draft, you know, that this does tend to happen, that a lot of local guys get picked in the later rounds. Uh, but it's always great to give an opportunity to a guy who you know is, uh, once he's given that opportunity, is going to give it his all. And, you know, for those guys, uh, you know, whether it's Ruska or Draper, you know, those those are guys who are going to prove themselves uh, as soon as they hit the floor. So it means a lot to stay local. And, you know, it's so common in the NLL also because these guys have other jobs. You know, they want to be local because they work in the area and all these things. So traveling and, and whatnot is very complicated for them. So to have a guy who you can build your career outside of your career in the place where you, you live and, and grew up is uh, is a really special thing. What do you got working on the next couple of weeks? I know you're doing some draft recaps with some teams, but what can we look forward to? Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going. Uh, about to finish up a piece uh, on Marshall and Johnny Paulus. It's been great talking to both of them over the last week uh, or so. Uh, really cool to to see them make history that way. Uh, also got something coming up for the changes of Rochester um, and kind of how they're viewing the future and how they're going to go about uh maintaining and keeping um and and developing an identity like like i had said previously uh then i've got um another really interesting piece um there was the there was the kid brody o'neill who uh was the socal lacrosse player who was um tagging all the nll teams and sending messages out saying how hard of a worker he is uh i think there's a lot of really interesting lessons there um for people to learn who uh you know we were just talking about hometown kids getting a chance uh he may not be a hometown kid necessarily uh although getting drafted from san diego might might be something that uh could be really good for him but you know he just wants a shot and there's so many guys out there that want a chance and uh if you know it's a story about perseverance it's a story about how you market it's a story about how you make sure that you come off in the best light possible to show that you can help a team win. So uh, I think it's going to be really interesting talking to him 
and then I'm really looking forward to a piece I'm I'm working on now uh, about Mike Messenger. Mm. Uh, Mike Messenger is a guy who has inspired me as as many NLL guys have. You know, one thing I do when I when I listen in my interviews is I'm I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to uh, understand that these guys are are role models and they're also real people. So they're role models that you can actually uh, look up to and realize that things are achievable. Uh, and Mike Messenger has worked incredibly hard to become an absolute beast in the box game. Uh, he's he's. Are you screening your wife right now? That's twice. Are you screening her? That is actually um, Service Canada. (laughs) Um, They're trying to kick you out, aren't they? They're saying that my social insurance number is expired, but it's a robocall. But yeah, so it's uh, a really interesting piece. He's started a a company called Ripping River, um, which he's told me he wants to kind of build into an athletic brand. Um, similar to the likes of a Lululemon, obviously with a little bit more rugged nature to him because, uh, you know, he is this big, tough guy. Um, so really cool about how him exploring nature connects with this experience of COVID and isolation and um, mental health as well, you know, experiencing the outdoors and getting a chance to to be with your mind and to to grow as a human being by yourself and fend for yourself. Uh, again, I think some really important lessons there for, for young people, for old people, for inactive people, for active people. Um, so I think that that's, that's something that I'm really looking forward to, to writing as well. We got through this entire interview and we didn't bash either one's football team slash soccer team. Did you know that? I, I did, and I, I think that 2020 has been tough enough on us all. I think, you know, I, I the last time we spoke was right before uh, COVID hit, and I, I guess it's it's our fault that the, the interview must have been so well-received that 2020 was like, we can't have any more good things. So, um, yeah, I think that... Uh, you know, if you if you want to talk about why Manchester United oh struggled against Crystal Palace, we can do that and talk about how great Liverpool's signings have been. Thiago looked amazing uh, in his first start. Did and... you see his quote the other day? They asked him how come he hadn't come to the EPL sooner, and he said, nope. he, "And he said, I just thought it was people kicking long balls down the field." <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's going to learn quick yeah. that uh, that is not the case, but. It's going to be a great season. I'm really excited uh, to see what Leeds can do. Um, I have to say, I'm even uh, really impressed with Everton, even mm-hmm. though those are some of my other rivals. Yeah. But Well, um, hell must have frozen over because you're on the podcast twice in one year and Liverpool are reigning EPL champions. So, Yeah, well, I, if that's what it takes. <laughs> My friend, great stuff as always. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Really also looking forward to all the great writings that you do. You do great work for the Lacrosse Flash and the NLL website. So keep it up. Keep your nose to the grindstone. And uh, stay safe, my friend. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Teddy. Always appreciate it. We'll catch up again soon. There he is, Adam Levy from the Lacrosse Flash and NLL.com. I like the story idea of... You know, the Palace brothers being third set of brothers drafted in the first round. 
It's a really cool story. And to hear Marshall's words through Adam about how much it meant to him to have that moment with his brother and to have that moment in front of his brother and sister and their family. It just goes to show how deep the roots of lacrosse go in some communities and in some families. And that is just an unbelievable story. I look forward to reading that one and many of the other stories that Adam is putting out. Um, Mackenzie Jenner, not Mackay Jenner, uh, just put out an article today on the lacrosseflash.com uh, on Brad McCulley, who's drafted ninth by the Buffalo Bandits, just talking about his progression to get to the National Lacrosse League and how he wasn't a lacrosse superstar right away and how it took him time and he had to kind of build up to where he was. And I think there's a lot of those stories in the National Lacrosse League. Look at Ryan Smith. The guy had played Junior C at one point. Junior B, Senior A, Senior B. Junior, like he, play, he has played all levels and now he's finally getting a shot. Kelson Borisenko, the young man out of Winnipeg. Only the second Manitoba native, I believe, ever in the National Lacrosse League behind Luke Magnan. These are the stories that we find out and we learn about in the draft, and they may not get as much hype as some others, but their stories are all the same. It takes hard work, dedication, a will to get beaten up and come back asking for more, an odd bit of luck here and there, and just an overall competitive drive to be as good as you can be at the highest level you can be. And I love the fact that we have people who are out there working their hardest to try to tell some of these stories. And one of the narratives that I kind of saw, and this is a narrative that comes up quite a bit around draft time. And that is how come we're always showing these kids in college and we represent their college team before we talk about their junior product team. Half of that is true. Yes. The general dynamic looks like we're showing more of these kids in college than we are showing them playing box across. And there is a truly simple answer for that. There is more field lacrosse videotape out there and readily accessible for the National Lacrosse League than there is for junior lacrosse tape. Period. It's not easy tracking down game film of these guys to be a scout, let alone as a league trying to find footage of some of these guys playing in tournaments, playing in regular season games, and to get that video of a high enough quality that it can be used. We're not trying to get grandma's handheld Sony flip video camera and put that on our draft coverage. We all know these kids that are Canadian are dominantly Canadian produced CLA talent. There is no denying that. And we will never ever shy away from pumping these kids' tires, the minor associations they come from, the junior associations that they come from, and let you all know 
that they are proud of who they played for and where they came from. It is just unfortunate that there is not enough home-based coverage of teams and video out there of these teams so that we can see these players in action. And I'm not sure if I said it on this show a couple weeks ago or someone else's podcast, but the one thing that COVID has really brought to light, one of the things that COVID and not having a summer lacrosse season has really brought to light for me, was the scouting process that these coaches have had to go through. Without having that video footage, it makes seeing guys play that much harder. And the fact that we didn't have a season this summer and we didn't have quality footage for GMs to scout really made it hard. How many Junior A and Junior B teams videotape every single one of their games? And if they do, how many are willing to give that video up? Because lacrosse people are secretive. We don't want others to see what we're doing. We only want our own eyes to see it. But when it comes to having a database to scout players, there needs to be a better way to contabulate, I don't even think that's a word, footage and high quality footage so that when it comes to draft time, GMs can just go to one website or one database, point, click, bring up a game film. Find a guy that they want. Find his name. Find the goal he scored. Click and watch it. A couple years ago with the Colorado Mammoth, they had a group that was coming in and filming all of their games. Besides the BR live and altitude feed, they were coming with iPads and video cameras and filming the game. And every single iota of the game was broken down and you could see each little clip each offensive possession. If you just wanted to see goals in the second quarter, boom, you can click a marker and it would filter it. If you just want to see goals from your lefties, boom, click a marker, it'll filter it and you can watch it. We need to find a way to make that a general norm for our athletes. Now, I don't know how we go about that. But it starts with investing in the equipment and investing in the people who will do all those things. It's not hard to film games. And it's not hard to dump that video footage into a database. Obviously, the breaking down of that footage is something completely different. But even if we had a database that was just every single Junior A game across the country, that would help immensely. And then, yeah, when we're doing draft coverage, we don't have to show every single Canadian playing field across. We can show them playing Senior A, Senior B, Junior A, Junior B, ALL, whatever it may be. And I agree, we need to show that footage. And we need to highlight that. And we continue to highlight that fact. But it's not always very easy from a technological standpoint. 
So I agree with all those people who are wondering, why aren't we doing it? We're trying. It's just not always that easy. That will about do it for this week's show. It was a draft-filled show. Thanks to Adam Levin, as always, thanks to you for stopping by and listening. I usually plan to take October off just because usually that is the slow time of the lacrosse season and there's not much going on. But next week we will have a very, very special guest. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation as Rex Lyons will join us one-on-one for a long, in-depth conversation about life, lacrosse, the Iroquois, the World Games, the road to the Olympics, and everything and everything in between. I hope you'll join us to listen. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar, Instagram, OTCB Podcast. Don't forget, head over to the lacrosseflash.com, get yourself some gear. I got myself a sweatshirt and an Oh My Goodness t-shirt and a hat. I am ready for winter to come. But you should make sure you stock up too. And don't forget, Adam Levy's got articles on both NLL.com and the Lacrosse Flash, as does Makai Jenner. <laughs> it's going to be your name forever now. That'll do it. Until we speak again, stay safe, keep smiling, and be excellent to each other. I am an apple.